listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the Mystical City of God. If you'd like to discuss today's readings, head on over to Facebook, and there you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights into today's readings with those who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir aflame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 260. We are reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 22, Paragraphs 678 to 685. 678. When the great queen of the angels, Most Holy Mary, perceived that the Jews in their perfidy and obstinate envy vied in dishonoring him and blaspheming him as the most wicked of men and in desiring to blot out his name from the land of the living, as Jeremiah had prophesied. Jeremiah 11.19 She was inflamed with a new zeal for the honor of her son and true God. Prostrate before the person of the crucified and adoring him, she besought the Eternal Father to see to the honor of his only begotten, and manifest it by such evident signs that the perfidy of the Jews might be confounded, and their malice frustrated of its intent. Having presented this petition to the Father, she, with the zeal and authority of the Queen of the Universe, addressed all the irrational creatures and said, Insensible creatures, created by the hand of the Almighty, do you manifest your compassion, which in deadly foolishness is denied to him by men capable of reason? Ye heavens, thou sun, moon, and ye stars and planets, stop in your course and suspend your activity in regard to mortals. Ye elements, change your condition, earth, lose thy stability, Let your rocks and cliffs be rent. Ye sepulchres and monuments of the dead, open and send forth your contents for the confusion of the living. Thou mystical and figurative veil of the temple, divide into two parts, and by thy separation threaten the unbelievers with chastisement. Give witness to the truth and to the glory of their Creator and Redeemer, which they are trying to obscure. 679. In virtue of this prayer and of the commands of Mary, the mother of the crucified, the omnipotence of God had provided for all that was to happen to the death of his only begotten. The Lord enlightened and moved the hearts of many by the bystanders at the time of these happenings on earth, and even before that time, in order that they might confess Jesus crucified as holy, just, and as the true Son of God. This happened, for instance, with the centurion and many others mentioned in the Gospels, who went away from Calvary, striking their breasts in sorrow. Among them were not only those who previously had heard and believed his doctrine, but also a great number of such as had never seen him or witnessed his miracles. For the same reason, Pilate was also inspired not to change the title of the cross, which they had placed over the head of the Savior in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. 
For when the Jews protested and asked him not to write Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, but this one says he is the king of the Jews, Pilate answered, What is written is written, and I do not wish it to be changed. All the inanimate creatures by divine will obeyed the command of Most Holy Mary. From the noon hour until three o'clock in the afternoon, which was called the ninth hour, when the Lord expired, they exhibited the great disturbance and changes mentioned in the Gospels. The sun hid its light, and the planets showed great alterations. The earthquake, many mountains were rent, rocks shook one against the other. The graves opened and sent forth some of the dead alive. The changes in the elements and in the whole universe were so notable and extraordinary that they were evident on the whole earth. All the Jews of Jerusalem were dismayed and astonished, although their outrageous perfidy and malice made them unworthy of the truth and hindered them from accepting what all the insensible creatures preached to them. 680. The soldiers who had crucified Jesus our Savior according to a custom, permitting the executioners to take possession of the property of those whom they executed, now proceeded to divide the garments of the innocent lamb. The cloak, or outside mantle, which by divine disposition they had brought to Mount Calvary, and which was the one Christ had laid aside at the washing of the feet, they divided among themselves, cutting it into four parts. John 19.23 But the seamless tunic, by a mysterious decree of providence, they did not divide, but they drew lots and assigned it entirely to the one who drew the lot for it, thus fulfilling the prophecy in the 21st Psalm. The mysterious signification of the undivided tunic is variously explained by the saints and doctors, one of these explanations being that, though the Jews lacerated and tore with wounds the sacred humanity of Christ our Lord, yet they could not touch or injure the divinity which was enclosed in the sacred humanity. And whoever should draw the lot of justification by partaking of his divinity should thenceforward possess and enjoy it entirely. 681. As the wood of the cross was the throne of his majesty and the chair of doctrine of life, and as he was now raised upon it, confirming his doctrine by his example, Christ now uttered those words of highest charity and perfection, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke twenty-three thirty-four. This principle of charity and fraternal love the divine teacher had appropriated to himself and proclaimed by his own lips. John fifteen twelve, Matthew fifteen forty-four. He now confirmed and executed it upon the cross, not only pardoning and loving his enemies, but excusing those under the plea of ignorance, whose malice had reached the highest point possible to men in persecuting, blaspheming, and crucifying their God and Redeemer. Such was the difference between the behavior of ungrateful men, favor with so great enlightenment, instruction, and blessing, and the behavior of Jews in his most burning charity, while suffering the crown of thorns, the nails, and the cross, and unheard of blasphemy at the hands of men. O incomprehensible love, O ineffable sweetness, O patience inconceivable to man, admirable to the angels and fearful to the devils. One of the two thieves called Dismas became aware of some of the mysteries. Being assisted at the same time by the prayers and intercession of Most Holy Mary, he was interiorly enlightened concerning his rescuer and master by the first word of the cross. Moved by true sorrow and contrition for his sins, he moved to his compassion and said, Neither dost thou fear God, seeing that thou art under the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done no evil. And thereupon speaking to Jesus, he said, Lord, remember me when thou shalt come into thy kingdom. Luke twenty-three forty, six eighty-two. 
in this happiest of thieves in the centurion and in the others who confessed Jesus Christ on the cross began to appear the results of the redemption. But one most favored with this dismiss, who merited to bear the second word of the Savior of the cross, Amen, I say to thee, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. O fortunate thief, who of all others heard those words, so much desired by all saints and the just of the earth, such a word the ancient patriarchs and prophets did not hear. They had judged themselves very happy to be allowed to descend into limbo and wait through the long ages for paradise, which thou, in changing so happily the condition, didst acquire in one moment. Thou hast now ceased to rob earthly possessions of thy neighbor, and immediately snatchest heaven from the hands of thy master. Thou seizest it in justice, and he yields to it in grace, since thou wast the last disciple of his doctrine on earth, and the most alert of all in practicing it after having heard it from his mouth. Thou hast lovingly corrected thy brother, confessed thy creator, reprehended those who blasphemed him, imitated him in patient suffering, asked him humbly as thy redeemer, not to forget thy miseries, and he as thy exalter has at once fulfilled the desires without delaying the guerdon merited for thee and all the mortals. 683. Having thus justified the good thief, Jesus turned his loving gaze upon his afflicted mother, who with St. John was standing at the foot of the cross. Speaking to both, he first addressed his mother, saying, Woman, behold thy son, and then to the apostle, Behold thy mother. John 1926. The Lord called her woman and not mother, because this name of mother had in it something of sweetness and consolation, the very pronouncing of which would have been a the very pronouncing of which would have been a sensible relief. During his passion he would admit of no exterior consolation, having renounced for that time all exterior alleviation and easement, as I have mentioned above. By this word woman, he tacitly and by implication wished to say woman, blessed among all women, the most prudent among all the daughters of Adam, woman, strong and constant, unconquered by any fault of thy own, unfailing in my service and most faithful in thy love toward me, which even the mighty waters of my passion could not extinguish or resist. Canticle 8.7 I am going to my father and cannot accompany th thee further. My beloved disciple will attend upon thee and serve thee as his mother, and he will be thy son. All this the heavenly queen understood. The holy apostle on his part received her as his own from that hour on, for he was enlightened anew in order to understand and appreciate the greatest treasure of the divinity and the whole creation next to the humanity of Christ our Savior. In this light, he reverenced and served her for the rest of her life, as I will relate farther on. Our Lady also accepted him as her son in humble subjection and obedience, always practicing the highest possible perfection and holiness without failing on any occasion and not permitting even the immensity of her present suffering to weigh down her magnanimous and most prudent heart. She promised then and there that she would show him this obedience during her whole life. 684. Already the ninth hour of the day was approaching, although the darkness and confusion of nature made it appear to be rather a chaotic night. Our Savior spoke the fourth word from the cross in a loud and strong voice, so that the bystanders could hear it. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Matthew twenty-seven forty-six.
Although the Lord had uttered these words in his own Hebrew language, they were not understood by all, since they began with, Ele, Ele. Some of them thought he was calling upon Elias, and a number of them mocked him, saying, Let us see whether Elias shall come to free him from our hands. But the mystery concealed beneath these words was just as profound as it was unintelligible to the Jews and Gentiles, and they have been interpreted in many ways by the doctors of the church. I shall give the interpretation which has been manifested to me. The dereliction of which Christ speaks was not one in which the divinity separated from the humanity. Dissolving the hypostatic union, nor including a cessation of the beatific vision in his soul, for both of these he enjoyed from the first moment his conception by the Holy Ghost in the virginal womb, and could never lose. But certainly the sacred humanity was, insofar, forsaken by the divinity as it did not ward off death or the most bitter sorrows of his passion. Though, on the other hand, the Eternal Father did not forsake him entirely, since he showed his concern by causing the changes in the visible creation, in order to give witness for his honor at his death. Christ, our Savior, intimated quite a different dereliction by these words of complaint, one which originated from his immense love for men, namely from his love of the foreknown as lost and the reprobate, which during his last hour caused in him the same anguish as it did during his prayer in the garden. He grieved that his copious and superabundant redemption offered for the whole human race should not be efficacious in the reprobate, and that he should find himself deprived of them in the eternal happiness for which he had created and redeemed them. As this was to happen in consequence of the decree of his father's eternal will, he lovingly and sorrowfully complained of it in these words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That is, insofar as God deprived him of the salvation of the reprobate. 685. In confirmation of this sorrow, the Lord added, I thirst. The sufferings of the Lord and his anguish could easily cause a natural thirst, but for him this was not a time to complain for this thirst or to quench it, and therefore Jesus would not have spoken of it so near to his expiration unless in order to give expression to a most exalted mystery. He was thirsting to see the captive children of Adam make use of the liberty which he merited for them and offered to them and which so many were abusing. He was athirst with the anxious desire that all should correspond with him in the faith and love due to him, that they profit by his merits and sufferings, accept his friendship and grace now acquired for them, and that they should not lose the eternal happiness which he was to leave as an inheritance to those that wished to merit and accept it. This was the thirst of our Savior and Master and the Most Blessed Mary, alone understood it perfectly and began with ardent affection and charity to invite and interiorly to call upon all the poor, the afflicted, the humble, the despised, and downtrodden, to approach their Savior, and thus quench at least in part his thirst, which they could not quench entirely. But the perfidious Jews and the executioners, evidencing their unhappy hard-heartedness, fastened a sponge soaked in gall and vinegar to a reed and mockingly raised it to his mouth, in order that he might drink of it. Thus was fulfilled the prophecy of David. In my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Our most patient Savior tasted of it, partaking of this drink in mysterious submission to the condemnation of the reprobate. But at the instance of his blessed mother, he immediately desisted, because the mother of grace was to be the portal and mediatrix of those who were to profit of the passion and the redemption of mankind. This concludes our reading today for day number 260. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 22, Paragraphs 678 to 685. The day of the crucifixion was a dark day. 
It's dark by the very elements of nature, as we heard in our reading today. The earth quaked, mountains were rent, rocks shook against the other. The changes in the elements and the whole universe were so notable. So this very day of the crucifixion, something was off in the world, but something was going to be made right. Chaos and disorder now in the world, but salvation, redemption, and forgiveness come by this very moment as well. So you need to have this moment of chaos so that then the peace and power of Christ might come and enter in, so that hearts might be converted, so that Christ may be revealed to all. We go through some of the words of Jesus from the cross today. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Very powerful words, an invitation for forgiveness for us to extend to other people. Then maybe we say about someone else, Father, forgive that person, for they know not what they do. They don't know your love. One of the reasons we hear today that Jesus calls Mary woman in the gospel from John as she stands beneath the cross is because by mother, it would bring sensible relief. But there was no relief that could be given to a mother in this moment. And so he calls her woman, hearkening us back, yes, to the wedding feast at Cana, taking us even back further to the beginning and creation of the world when woman was brought forth from the side of man. And now woman standing beneath the tree of life is there and present. That phrase of Jesus, I thirst, maybe you think of Mother Teresa or Saint Teresa of Calcutta and the words that she reflected on as she considered those words, I thirst and what Christ thirsts for. Maria Vagrida gives us a beautiful line of what Jesus thirsted for. He was thirsting to see the captive children of Adam make use of liberty. He was athirst with the anxious desire that all should correspond with him in the faith and love due to him. This was the thirst of our Savior and Master and also of the Blessed Mother. So Christ thirsts and he thirsts especially for our salvation, for the salvation of our souls. As we think about the words of Jesus that we heard today, Maybe we consider each one of them. Who do I need to forgive? Have I allowed Mary to be my mother? How is Christ thirsting for me? I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.